So there was all these things that I thought was joy and they were all empty and didn't last. They felt good in the moment. And for me, Hello, and welcome to Finding Your Spark again. I am so glad you're here today. Today, we are particularly lucky to be talking to Allie Payne. She is both a certified life coach and a certified relationship systems coach. Her passion is empowering parents to build healthy, respectful relationships with their teens without giving up or giving in. She's been featured in the New York Post, ABC Nightly News, and The Rachel Ray Show. Welcome, Allie. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I am so glad that you're here. And I'm really glad to get to talk about these concepts, right? Because my listeners are always thinking about, or at least I hope they are, (laughs) how do we create joy? How do we get ourselves to a place? And it sounds so sort of airy-fairy, right? It's like, oh, sure, I'll have a great day over and over. But in reality, we go through things. We live in dysfunctional relationships and we have anxiety and we have depression. And, you know, there's just a lot that we go through. And then life throws more at us. So uh, I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about um, how we do that, how we go from something that's not great to something one step at a time that's better and better and better. Yeah. It I just want to point out I think you're 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 so right on this whole um airy fairy sort of commercialized version of joy. A commercialized version of joy and I think in my experience attempting to find that or experience that was actually the greatest suck of joy in itself. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I want to start with that. So much pressure, right? It's so much pressure. It's like, how could you ever live up to what it looks like? You know, I was talking to somebody just just yesterday about the shifts that we're seeing in social media, not to bring up a odd topic here, but the shifts that we're seeing in social media, which went through this phase where everything was about perfection, right? It was really magazine level, but it was supposed to be your everyday life. (laughs) You know? Okay, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And now we're really seeing this shift to authenticity. And what authenticity really means is messy, right? It means like the stuff I like, yes, but also like it's got all the problems in it. It's got me worrying about things and it's got, right, it's got any dysfunction that's going on around you. And sure, yeah, it has the nice pictures too, but that's only part of a life. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know if I actually, um, in, I don't know if I still know what joy is, I guess. I'm I came from uh, from my experience of a very dysfunctional um, family dynamic. And in my experience of it, it was um, very, very painful and unhealthy. The majority being emotional, emotional abuse uh, and also some physical abuse as well. And so um, and I've really been the black sheep in my family um, to this day. And so. Joy for me when I was younger, I I think I'm naturally a positive person. 
I love to have fun. I love to have lightness and fun. And so I think there's a way where I was always looking for that or trying to experience it. Would I say that was joy? Um, I, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back to the distinction perhaps with Dr. Brenny Brown and the difference between happiness and joy. Um, but there is plenty of moments in spite of um, what I experience on a day-to-day basis for, for decades. Um, sure, moments of joy, you know, of real, of real joy. However, I think because I didn't experience a great deal of that and I was often um, very angry or sad or confused, what I what I got out of that, even, you know, in my late teens, early teens, I mean, I started drinking heavily at 13, um, you know, every weekend was that joy was a version of escapism. So it was drinking. um, It was, you know, and yes, I, I would drink heavily. Did I need alcohol? No, but I looked forward to the weekends because I could escape the, my experience of day to day pain um, and strife on the weekend. And so I learned that escaping it. So whether it was drinking, whether it was, believe it or not, whether it was sports, I played two sports most evenings. And so as long as I was moving my body and quite literally outrunning my pain, which I had no idea how to process or be with or anything, that felt like joy because I happened to be very athletic. So I won a lot of awards or scored the goals or did the thing. So that, that was like a pseudo joy, just like drinking. And then, um, you know, in my later teens and and early twenties, then it was, um, well, it was an eating disorder that for me started when I was 12 and went on until I was about 26. I found joy in that because I got to feel control and I used food as a way um, to manipulate my body in unhealthy ways, which then led to some form of positive affirmation, which I did not experience any of at home. In fact, quite the opposite, a lot of body shaming. And so, so I use eating disorder to pseudo get my joy. Then I use promiscuity to use, to, so there was all these things that I thought was joy and they were all empty and didn't last they felt good in the moment and for me I feel like my lifetime journey of healing has been about reworking what I thought was joy and and what is joy actually and what does and what more importantly perhaps what does it feel like for me to even begin to create more of it in my life. Mm, so great. So great. So you said two or three things there that um, I, I really want to see if we can um, pull them out a little bit because uh, achievement and control are a theme that I see throughout my clients and really in a lot of areas of my life where we can just feel better. If we can mm-hmm. just take the boxes, let's take them. Come on. Oh, heck Come yeah. Come on, let's do something today. That's right. That's and right. And let somebody feel like, you know, give us that validation from outside. Um, even when we're doing it to ourselves, even when we're self-competitive. Like, I do not naturally have a competitive streak with others, but I am self-competitive, right? If I think that I could do it 
more than I did it last time. I want to do it, you know? And so, um, sometimes those things are, are so close to ourselves, right? They're so bred into us in those ways that childhood brings things into your life that maybe don't serve you, that sometimes they're hard to tell the difference between, oh, that's, that's my nature. And that's really what I've been trained to do. It's who I was trained into unconsciously, probably, right? Uh, not maybe not with malice, maybe with malice, but maybe not. And then how do we, how do we sort of get that concept between what is outside of me and what is inside of me? Because my experience with joy really is that it is, it is what there is when there's nothing else. Yes. Amen. All the things high 10. Yes. It's not when there is all the things or everything no. is in order. I love no. what you just said. I yeah. say it again. I love that. Yeah. It's really what there is when there's nothing else. When, when we have nothing, when we are only just naked in our own being, right? Then there is this joy that is accessible it's the only place it's really accessible right we can we can make it ding right we can make the chemicals go off in our body and stuff like that these other ways but we can't really have it in a way that is unconditional it is yours and you nobody can take it from you it's in the depth of your soul and so that space, it's really about stripping away to get there. It's really about letting go to get there as opposed to, you know, all the things, jumping out of the airplanes and making yourself feel better and having sex with everybody that you can find and, you know, all the things that, that people do to fill up. I think to your point that this is, if, if I go back to circling into social media and even just commercialized version of living, um, is that there's always something outside of us that you're chasing. There's something outside of you that you're chasing. Like, again, as a female, um, having been married, how many women listening to this said, I'll be happy when? I'll be happy when I lose 10 pounds. I'll be, I'll shop for a wedding dress when I look better. I'll be like, it's all these um, externalized some of the milestones, like when I have a child or when I have a fiance or when, whatever, when I have a job, whenever, when I own a house, it's externalized either milestone markers or simply externalized possessions. Like I said, when I own a car, when I, that we uh, have been taught and it is all part in, in my view of the patriarchal system of, of needing to be, do, and essentially be pleasing to others. If you're a female listening, it's all about being pleasing to others. You will find joy when enough people find you pleasing. Now, I was also, in my experience, raised in a, in a household that was not only that from an emotionally abusive perspective, but also from a very high performance perspective. My parents are highly intelligent people. And so um, when, when I was being who they wanted me to be, which felt very tricky and confusing on a lot of days, I would get sometimes a breadcrumb of a positive remark. What I got in my experience a lot more of was just all the negative what I wasn't supposed to do. So I was really confused about what it would take to get a positive remark. 
And so I just started to, well, it must, it must be me. And that that's very normal um, for children, for teenagers is to internalize whatever messages, um, behavior that they are seeing. And that's not your fault necessarily. That's not, it just is part of the psychology of the brain. And so um, what I learned is it must be me. I must need to do more. It must be something I'm not doing because I, I haven't yet hit it, even though, you know, I started athletics at six and I was, you know, the straight A student, at least until I wasn't. Um, and all my anxiety and mental health came crashing into a pool. And I went from straight A's to F's and then a suicide attempt. Um, is that I, I just started doing more and more. It must be me. I must need to do more. And so that fit really well with this commercialized external hustle culture. Um, and, and again, the patriarchal message as a female saying that I obviously wasn't doing enough because if I was, I would be pleasing to somebody. And then, and, and that um, was again, really empty. And I was very dangerous that that promoted, not promoted, I guess that it amplified my eating disorder. I own that behavior. I'm not externalizing that. Um, but it, it definitely was that. And it's truly, and I mean this honestly, I have done 30 years of personal development work. And in that I've done a solid 10 years of therapy. That is aside from my coach training and certification and my work and raising two human beings into young adulthood who are like the most amazing people and coolest beings. Um, I'm really just getting that this year. I am really just getting that joy is, as you said, it is when there's nothing left and that there is truly from my undoing my own trauma to truly internalize, there is nothing more for me to do or be. And it wasn't until I stopped the doing or beingness. And I know that sounds trite because it was not easy. It was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. Uh, and there was a lot of, lot of bodily fluids, a lot of snot, a lot of tears that I started that process of realizing I couldn't run from it and I couldn't run toward it. I couldn't run from my trauma and I couldn't run any more to joy. Just stop running. Just stop. Yeah. Your experience is so similar to what I went through when my husband passed away, my house sold, every, everything fell away from me. And it was that same sort of life set me up to be able to know what is it like when you have nothing and what is in your soul, right? And that's really when that became more and more accessible to me, right? Because we live in the world, we live in the world and the world wants things from us and we need to feed people and including ourselves. And you know, it's just like there are functional things that we have to jump through hoops for. And so when you have none of it, when you just when it falls apart, mm -hmm. you go like, oh, this is what it feels like to be a being, to just right. be being. Oh, yeah. there is joy in this space. There's a feeling that is so um, unfamiliar and echoing like, you know, cavernous echo inside of you that you can access it's so amazing and to to hear the way that you're talking about like because you're really talking about i i had the benefit <laughs> i had the benefit of 
the world's falling apart, right? But when your world doesn't fall apart and you you on purpose strip those layers back and become really the core of who you are, that is massive, Allie. That is just massive. Well, thank you. I guess I I um I should fill in a blank here that I, I didn't for whatever reason I didn't mention. I I'm going through a divorce. And so it was the last two years of when we were saying, you know, that we were separated and then telling the kids and and then, you know, deciding that cohabitating wasn't probably gonna work and in this economy and how did we sell the house and just all of those things. That was a really big part of it because I was realizing how much my construct, very unhealthy construct of externalizing things had also helped build the marriage I was in. And it was because I, I, it was all hustle culture. I truly believed that as long as I did more, I tolerated more, I buckled down, I worked harder, I figured out ways to adapt to make it look good, feel good, that I would be a good wife and that would be enough. And that is essentially the def- one of the definitions of patriarchy is that not only was I working full time, I'm raising two kids. My partner uh, worked out of the country for, you know, six months of the year. And so it's all on me, but then he can come home and just everything, you know, is as it should be. And so, but, so, but that wasn't, so I just tried to do more and I tried to do more. And it was when I was, um, yoga has been fascinating to me. I I wouldn't say I'm a yoga zealot. Um, It's a love hate thing. Definitely, definitely a love hate thing. And I, hadn't done a significant amount of yoga in the last, you know, sort of six, seven years. And uh, due to an injury, et cetera, some things this past fall, just about 13 months ago, I joined a yoga studio. And I was having these bizarre, it wasn't unfamiliar, but it was a bizarre experience that I'm in yoga. Now, remember, my survival technique, my literally my life programming said, you don't just go to yoga. Like, that's for pansies. Who just does that? You do yoga. You perform at yoga. You make sure you've got the form right. You, you, you do it until you are ready to literally collapse on your mat or you're not doing it well enough. So there was this part of me that was trying to perform because it's the only way I knew how to do life. As, as uh, crazy as that sounds, I had to go to yoga and do it and do it properly. or. And, and I want to make clear that this performance thinking doesn't come from ego, okay? In trauma studies, this performance overachiever thinking, it comes from a, a, a wild chasm uh, army of fear that if I don't do it right, I will be further punished, shamed, um, physically hurt, uh, and removed from whatever connection I'm begging to have as it is. Yeah, outcast. Yeah, yeah, I will be further outcast. So, so please, if you see like a fierce overperformer in your life, just know it's probably not their ego driving that. So I was doing this wild performance thing in yoga. There's half of me doing that. And then I have this other half of me in literal terror, like to the point where I couldn't catch my breath. I, um, I was, I was almost hyperventilating and I know one would think, well, gee, Allie, if you're holding the pose, like some kind of Adonis statue, you might be hyperventilating, but it it was actually my emotional part. It was this bizarre thing. My physical body was doing this like 
must perform and be the best thing, the person in the yoga class, you actually want to flick between the eyes and go, oh my God, get over yourself. And then my emotional part was doing this complete terror thing because I find yoga the one place where I can't escape myself because it takes all of my thinking just to be able to balance and do whatever moves. And so it took me six months to figure out what, what, this, what was this dissonance going on in my body that was happening only when I was on my yoga mat. What was happening? And it was then that I decided, I'm like, well, Allie, okay, uh, you can either continue to avoid this or you can figure out what it is. So I decided to square my shoulders to the fear and just go into the fear. And in my experience, healing is on the other side. And um, I spent probably two months straight crying in yoga. I was then the also fully snotty, messy crier person in yoga, but I was also crying in much of the rest of my life too. Because for the first time in my life, I was meeting myself, the part that I had suppressed and abandoned for so long whilst trying to perform and hustle and living from the neck up. Yoga was having me do this, this association, rather than being dissociated, this association to my wholeness, to my whole body, and walking toward that terror, and meeting that version of myself that was so viscerally terrified, I could barely stay in the room was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And as I kept saying yes to that fear, and literally, I was talking to myself, I'm not even kidding you, I was talking to myself in yoga and saying, I see you, I see you, I hear you, it's okay to be afraid. After 90 days, and that's a lot of yoga classes on the mat, after 90 days of just doing that and not knowing what was happening or why it was happening, but just feeling like I just have to do this, I connected to... um of a visceral emotional part of myself in a way where I just didn't need to perform because performance was my safety. And so I go to yoga now. This is like fast forward a couple months. I go to yoga now and all I do on the mat is listen to myself. What do I need right now? What feels right in my body right now? Maybe doing what they're doing doesn't feel right for me. And I am safe and whole when I do not, because I don't need to perform to be whole, to be acceptable, to have value. And so it was like this duality. My brain gave up this need to perform at a survival. And I am still connecting with myself and doing what feels right for me instead of having to be the best all the time. And that was one of the biggest ways that I have found joy. And I think all the other times in my life, yes, I did experience joy in moments. And I'm going to tell you, it was probably a momentary connection because I felt safe enough to experience it, or it was a head up connection because of something I had achieved or created. Um, now I can lay on my mat and, and, or just be, as you said, in my day. And I am more regulated than I've ever been, not needing to be or do much and have that joy space. I'm not sure if any of that makes sense, but that was one of my biggest things of 2023. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing it. It was really incredible to have you be um, so vulnerable and open with us is really amazing. 
Um, I love, love, love that you're talking about your emotions as part of the body energy system. And, you know, in my work, that's, it's a lot of what I connect it to. We are these magical eternal beings, but we're in this experience in this body, which has, which has energy systems within it, right? Has physical systems and also has energy systems around it. And yoga, along with several other practices where there's an understanding of what the shapes of those energy systems are. And when we do that, what your experience is such a beautiful example of is how there is synergy and, and a concert happening in the experience of your of your soul, of your spirit, of your mind and your thoughts and your body and all the energy around you, right? Because we, we really bump into each other a lot in that personal space, right? In that space that is our energy system and going to a class like that, that happened in a container that involved other beings in it, right? There are no mistakes. And so that's, that, that is just a beautiful example of how that can be, how you can go from being one person who, as you said, so beautifully, you created, right? We all do it. We create these people that we are one day at a time, whether we mean it or not. <laughs> right. And, and to say, this cannot continue some on some level whether that is a, a conscious or an unconscious desire that that's it's going it's going now and i don't know what it's going to be but i'm going to stay here on this mat and release everything that wants to go now until i am who can be here who is ready for this part of my life there is a lot of science to the fact that it has to do with connecting your body to your to your brain <laughs> is where that emotional um, connection can occur. So it might not be for yoga for you. That's fine. Um, it just happened to be the one place for me where because it's requiring in all of my concentration in order to just stay on the mat, it, number one in the heat because it's hot yoga, um, but also do like bendy things and not fall over into the next person it is the thing the medium for me that happened to be where I did that connection to myself and I want to go back for a second and just talk about anxiety because um although I'm not formally um di I do have ADHD and I do have the anxious version of ADHD um uh, some people have depression with ADHD. Some people have both anxiety and depression. I have the anxiety. Um, I do believe part of that is CPTSD is chronic post-traumatic stress disorder, just from the, what I was raised in um, and has gone on the majority of my life. Um, I, the, the fear and the anxiety was I learned to cope with it as we do, as your brain does. You learn to cope with very trying, um, troublesome things. Our brains are highly adaptive. 
you probably have your own coping techniques if you're listening and you're wondering, you know, is it is it a glass of wine every night? And I am not saying these with judgment. You know, is, is it sugar? Is it food? Is it exercise? I was, at many points in my life, I was exercising over two hours a day. And, and that was just another way of running from myself. And so it was also a way of, and this is the irony, is that exercise is a great way to combat, combat stress and combat anxiety, body movement. help. So you see, I was using what was good, but I was using it well beyond, well beyond the line of <laughs> where um, there was perhaps healthy outcomes because in fact, what I was doing was just exhausting myself more. So I, I would well pass the line, but anxiety isn't necessarily a way of not being in your emotion. And I think anxiety, like there's a lot of talk about anxiety on social media and in, you know, podcasts like this and articles and anxiety is not necessarily a way of not being in your emotion at all. Anxiety, what I am learning is anxiety is simply a flag. My inner me, my emotional body is just waving a flag to me to say something's not working. Something feels off. I may need to self-advocate for myself. I may need to say no to something. I might need to set a boundary. But first and foremost, I could. I, what would work best for me is probably just to stop. Just stop and get curious. Okay, okay, anxiety, thanks for showing up. Uh, what is what is it that you're wanting me to hear? What is it you're wanting me to notice, to do? What am I? What have I slipped back into my head about? And I'm perhaps a little disconnected because world life is busy. There's a lot of demands, you know. Um, so anxiety isn't a bad thing. If you struggle with anxiety and you're listening, I just want to say, I love you. I love all of you. I love your anxiety. Bring it. It's not, anxiety isn't bad. Anxiety can be a marker. Now, how you deal with the anxiety is what we're talking about. And my way of dealing with anxiety was to continue to run from it or externalize joy in order to try and turn the volume down on the anxiety. And none of that worked. <laughs> none of it. Yeah. Yeah. You make such a good point there. You know, I was working with somebody just earlier uh, on who's, who's having to learn to retrust their body. And so, so much of what you're talking about is learning safety and trust in in your own systems right so it may be in your thinking it may be in how your heart feels in your feeling literally the feelings right it may be so that feels like it's it, it's contrary to each other because we're talking about feeling safe but also about your feelings you know but there's this there is this way that we can work with ourselves where finding that safety and that trust in yourself is part of the process, right? You cannot, it's like a roadmap. You cannot get from anger and depression and fear and PTSD to joy without going through a few places. There are no helicopters that get there. There are no airplanes you cannot skip, right? And you can spend a lot of time that you don't have to spend in some towns along the way, right? You can go to frustration and like hang out with people if you want, but you don't have to. But you do have to go through a process, which is the process that you just described, right? Is a beautiful part of that process. And it can it can happen through 
a yoga practice. It can happen through a coaching practice. It can happen in so many different ways. But this process of learning safety and trust because you got somewhere that you didn't mean to get. I don't mean you specifically, but anyone who's experienced anxiety. Uh, after my late husband passed away, um, I thought I knew anxiety before that. I, I did not. I did not. Compared to what I what happened to me, is there was just so much physical reality to that anxiety for me that I thought you're going to have to go to the next level. You're going to have to learn to trust each moment, to really work with yourself on safety and trust to get to the place where it's okay to pack a bag to go traveling, right? Even though when you leave, things happen, <laughs> right? All of the things that are going on in your mind, right? And seeing that is not always, you can't always do that by yourself, right? Being able to hold that mirror up is like really hard. That's part of what a coach is great at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think it's just on that note, it's one of the default worst things about being a coach is that we, we tell ourselves, oh, I can do it myself. I think if my yoga instructor who I deeply love and respect, I just find her guide, her, her voice. And she's never just guiding the body. She does these like kind of meditations in the beginning meditations at the end of every class. She was my guide. And, and, and to also say, there's nothing weak about seeking support. Again, as I said, in the beginning, I I've been in therapy for about 10 years. I've done um, uh, psychiatrist, I've done cognitive behavioral therapy, I've done emotional freedom technique tapping, uh, I've done all the things and I needed all of them at different times. And so I love that your point, you know, don't be afraid to get a guide. And that is the great part about someone as skilled as a coach to have a look at what um, help you to in a safe container, begin to unpack this. And then I, I also just want to say that I love what you, I love what you're pointing to about safety because it's the singular reason why I was living so dissociated which PS I had no idea until this year this year ago of my life that I was actually as dissociated as I was I have heard the term I had done the work I'm like yeah yeah that's not me yes it was I was doing my entire life from my neck up almost all of it from my neck up out of survival and so I want to say this that I didn't feel safe with me. And that's what was happening on my yoga mat was I was meeting the part of me that I had unintentionally denied, suppressed and abandoned the same way I had been suppressed and abandoned as a child emotionally. I was just doing that to myself. So it wasn't until I could meet myself there that I could, as you said, feel safe with myself. And that was the walking through the terror of that 90 days on my mat, because I didn't feel safe with myself. I'd done nothing but, but dismiss myself because I'd learned to dismiss myself, right? So I was doing all these behaviors and that reconnection was literally a seed of joy. That reconnecting and feeling safe with myself was literally a seed of joy. That when I am in a nothing space, I'm not trying to run from myself. I am with myself. I have nothing but myself. And I believe that is truly a seed of joy. 
That is wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. And uh, I want to make sure that everybody knows how to get in touch with you and what your world is like a little bit. So of course, we'll link everything, but tell us a little bit about how everybody can get in touch with you. Absolutely. If you are a social media fan, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Allie Payne. It's A-L-Y-P-A-I-N. Yes, it is spelled like ouch. And my website is AllyPayne.com, A-L-Y-P-A-I-N.com. Um, if you go into the resource section on my website, there's lots of free downloads. There's, there's loads of blogs that all have really easy to understand, quick to implement tools and tricks that you can begin to create some of what we're talking about in your own personal life and in your relationship with your team. Yeah, I love that you pointed that out in there that, you know, the, one of the reasons that we can sit here and talk about this so openly and and with such awareness is because we have tools, right? Because we did all of this work and we learned all of these different ways. And so we know what tool to use and what tool at what time. And so it's really wonderful that you've got resources for people to start that journey of, of getting some tools. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, I will remind everybody that, of course, you can go to donalyn.blog and also get some tools there, right? So uh, there's a PDF for you. It's like 20 pages or something. And it is really about being unbreakable. It's about how do we have a few tools to be able to get through those, those emotions that aren't serving us to get to a place where we can find a little peace love, happiness, all the things that we really want, but keep running away from. So thank you so much for this conversation and your work. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you so much. And I will see you guys next time.